Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. So give it up for Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools. We need to celebrate, y'all. Need to celebrate. That's what the superintendent, Crystal Hill, says. Called for some celebration across many of Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools after the state released student performance data for the 22-23 school year, so last year. Charlotte Observer reports the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction released state test score data and school performance grades, which are calculated from data that includes how much academic growth students made last school year. CMS showed improvement in the second post-pandemic year in reading and math scores. Nice. Showed some improvement. It's awesome. 58% of the district schools earned an A, B, or C. Nice. Okay, so 42%. Yeah, okay, so 42%, not so good. The superintendent said, Uh, Look, we have increased the number of schools with a school performance grade of A, B, or C. So there are more schools, A, B, or C. And we decreased the number of schools with a uh, performance grade of F. I read that and I thought, what happened to the D? Where's the D? Is the D gone? Do they not, do they not? hand out D's anymore. You got A, you got B, you got C, you got F. I mean, we all know E doesn't exist for some reason. I've never understood that either. Why? Like, I get the F for failure. But I've never understood why they just skipped right over E and went to F. But whatever. Where are the D's? Somebody think of the D's. So she's touting this uh, data point that there are fewer schools that got an F. Hmm. But slightly more than half of CMS students were proficient on state-level exams. Oh, and, and that's lower than the statewide rate. More than half of CMS students are proficient. More than half? How are they getting... How are we getting more ABC schools if more than half of the kids are not proficient? More than half of the kids. 40 CMS schools improved their school letter grade. CMS's proficiency rate of 52.1% is better than how the district performed last year. So, yes, we got a little bit better. While the total number of low-performing schools increased by nine... Wait. What? Wait a minute. I think I found the D. Okay, so okay, so the superintendent is D, is, is touting the fact that there are fewer schools with a performance grade of F. Like look at us, we reduce the number of Fs. But then there is also a larger number 
of total low-performing schools, which means what? D's. That's where all the D's are. Now, maybe some of the F's improved a little bit and got into the D category, right? But they're still not proficient. They're still not at a minimum. It's a D, right? A C is still, unless they've changed this, and that's quite possible. They're always, you know, monkeying around with the, um, uh, with the proficiency scores and, you know, what's 100% and what's uh, acceptable, what's passing, what's not. Like the SAT scores, remember, they... They moved those numbers up a while back, and I think they brought them back down again. But I, I can't keep track of all of the the new and creative ways they're figuring out how to uh, how to grade and assess kids. But in my day, a C was a two O, right? B's were a B was a was a three, and then. A was a four, right? That's how you get the 4.0 GPA. Although now, as I understand it, you can get higher than a four. What's that about? But I guess that makes some bit of sense. If A is the minimum, if you get a 4.0 and you can't get any higher than that, there's only one number, you you know, you just basically get the A, you know, barely get the A and then you're in along with somebody else who's like acing everything. But that should be the point, right? A's should be hard to get. So anyway, maybe that's why they they increase the four point scale to above that. I don't know. It doesn't really matter to me. What matters to me is why you've got this D category and this F category and the D category is growing. We got more schools that are, are uh, low performing now, which means what we may have had some schools that were in the F area that moved up to D, but you also had apparently schools in the C category that fell down into the D category. The state has removed the designation from 16 CMS schools. So the state removes low-performing designation for 16 schools and added 25 new ones. Low-performing schools have a performance grade of D or F and do not exceed growth. So they measure growth as part of this calculation. Part of the data here is that you've got to show improvement. So there's a lot of movement in and out of the categories. The superintendent, Crystal Hill, as well as district leaders, acknowledged other areas that CMS needs to improve, like, for example, educating black kids and Hispanic kids. They are, it's like, I think I heard on the newscast driving in today that it's like four out of five black kids are not at grade level. Right, so obviously, right, we need to pay the teachers more money. Right, that's, that's, the, that's the solution, of course it is. Um, And that is not a slam on teachers, by the way. It's an indictment on the system, and it's an indictment on the politicization of the government model, which, of course, it's politicized. It's government. If you don't like politics being involved in a particular area, then get the government out of it, because that's why you've got politics. I'm not talking about inter-office politics and that sort of stuff. That's going to exist everywhere you've got human beings. But when you've got government in control of a system, then it becomes, quote, public politics, right? Now, everybody gets to weigh in on this stuff, which is kind of comical because apparently only certain people are allowed to weigh in on this stuff. Like, if you're a mom's for liberty, don't you open your mouth. Don't you dare say a word. Don't you go down to some school board meeting 
thinking that you've got the right to comment about a public institution? Hill and district leaders acknowledge other areas CMS needs to improve. The graduation rate, it actually went down. And they attributed that to, you want to take a guess? Why did the graduation rate decline by 0.7%? Ready? Lockdowns. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. They say uh, the, uh, the, the pandemic. Right. They're not going to say lockdowns. Can't say that. They're going to say, though, that uh, remote learning and the lack of testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Put that on the other side of the ledger, folks. I keep talking about these things. I keep saying put it on the other side of the ledger. Because now you've got fewer kids graduating. A lot fewer kids because a percentage decline. Right. But but more students in the system year over year, usually, although I will I will say they have probably lost students. Um, but point seven percent, an increase in the dropout rate, basically, or lowering of the graduation rate by point seven percent. That means lifelong impact for those kids. They will never graduate high school on time. They can go back and get a GED, right? They can, they can definitely turn the life around and, and, uh, and improve themselves, absolutely. But those are kids that have now dropped out. And the impacts, just by the statistics and by the data, the impacts of them dropping out will be felt for the rest of their lives. Lost earnings, right? Poor health care or health outcomes, I should say. Just a, a parade of horribles now await them because now they fall into this category of those who dropped out of high school. So that's on the ledger, right? That's got to be taken into account when weighing the pros and cons of locking down the society in our response to the pandemic. All right, so the Charlotte-Mecklenburg school system announcing the results of the uh, the state's report card, you know, the grading of the schools where they put schools into uh, a, B, C, D, or F categories, and um, we got more. We got more underperforming schools now. We got more low-performing schools than we did last year. We're at nine. There are fewer Fs, but more Ds. That's my reading of the of the the news story here at the Charlotte Observer. They give a list too. So here are the schools that were removed from the low-performing list. So the kids in these schools apparently got a lot smarter, okay? Um, Cotswold Elementary School, um, Military and Global Leadership, Greer Academy, Rocky River High, Montclair, Newell, Performance Learning Center, Pineville Elementary, Piney Grove, Sedgefield, Starmount Academy, Steel Creek, Sterling, West Charlotte High, Winding Springs, and Wingate Park. Schools that added to the low-performing list. Albemarle Road Elementary. Alexander Graham Middle. A.G. Middle. Wow. Berwick. Berry Hill. Bruns Avenue. Croft. Devonshire. Eastway. Weren't people clamoring to stay at A.G. Middle just like a couple months ago? Remember with the big <clears throat> rezoning uh, or, you know, or redrawing of the school district assignment boundaries and all of that? And they were like, don't split us up or whatever. Uh, all right, back to the list. Devonshire, Eastway Middle, Elizabeth Traditional, 
Governor's Village stem, both the lower and the upper stem. Um, Greenway Park, J.H. Gunn, Lawrence Orr, Mint Hill, Mint Hill Elementary, North Ridge Middle, South Pine Academy, Stony Creek, Thomasboro, Tuckaseegee, University Meadows, Villa Heights, Walter G. Byers, Whitewater Middle, and Wilson STEM Academy schools. That's kind of uh, <clears throat> it's kind of concerning if there's a bunch of STEM schools on the lower. Isn't that the whole point? Like, don't you go to the STEM school because it's science, technology, engineering, and math, right? And that that side of the brain that, like, for me, shut down at like age three. I want to say. <laughs> And then there's this. Oh, wait, hang on. Before I get to this other piece, let me read this email because it, it's the bridge. It's the segue from Stan, who says, Pete, the reason the number of people who have dropped out and don't graduate is more have uh, more people look at the current product produced and have asked the legitimate question, what's the point? If I want indoctrination as opposed to education, I have a dumb relative or gang member friend for that. Um. I don't think that's why people are dropping out, but that's, I mean, that that is possible, I guess. Um, then there's this from WLOS-TV out in uh, Asheville area. There were strong emotions in the room Tuesday night as the Asheville City Board of Education, now they have two different boards of ed out in uh, Asheville. They got the city, and then they have Buncombe County, right? So they have a county board of ed, they got county schools, and they have city schools. They have not consolidated their school system. Um, by the way, neither has uh, Chapel Hill, if I recall correctly. So they get to send all of their kids to their their local school district, their city school district, and then, you know, let, let everybody else go to the county schools. Anyway, Asheville school leaders were discussing policy updates in light of the Parents' Bill of Rights. This is what Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools just went through. And it focused on, you know, ironing out the school district's policy and... Uh, during one of the meetings, somebody says, quote, I just want to make sure that they check in and say we're going to have to call your parents. Is there anything that we should be aware of? Because if they then identify that they could be harmed as a result of that, I don't think that phone call needs to be made. We have a district opposed to this law, and so we're going to do what we can to write policy that supports our students and supports our educators. They're kind of giving off the vibe here that uh, they're not going to comply with the state law on the Parents' Bill of Rights. Yeah, I, I don't know why parents, uh, yeah, I don't know why they're leaving the schools. I actually told, we were at dinner a couple of days ago with some friends, and I, I told them about the school, the opportunity scholarships. They were not aware about the school voucher program. They are now. Very much so. Hey, so real quick, hurricane season is here, and this is your reminder to check your emergency supplies. You should have a three-day supply of food, water, and medicines, minimum. And Carolina Readiness Supply can help you get started or expand your supply. Food, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies too, because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you can use for any kind of emergency. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you in Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply, will you be ready when the lights go out? Wall Street Journal editorial board 
couple days ago says school choice is gaining momentum nationwide. Charter schools are a large part of the movement. A new student, a new study shows that these independently run public schools are blowing away their traditional school competition in student performance. Stanford Center for Research on Education Outcomes, or CREDO, or as I call it, CREDO, the CREDO report is the third in a series that tracks charter school outcomes over 15 years. The study is one of the largest ever conducted. It covers more than 2 million charter students in 29 states, as well as New York City and Washington, D.C. And then they also have a control group in traditional public schools. So once again, charter schools are public schools. Credo's judgment is unequivocal. Most charter schools, quote, produce superior student gains despite enrolling a more challenging student population. What is the thing that you always hear from the anti-voucher people, the anti-school choice people? Is that we have to take every student. It's not like any other business because kids come in, they have all the different challenges, and we can't turn any of them away and blah, blah, blah. Right? You hear that all the time. But charter schools, they take a lot of those kids. More challenging student population, yet show more gains. Reading and math, charter schools provide their students with stronger learning when compared to the traditional public schools. The nationwide gains for charter students were six days in math and 16 days in reading. That's how they measure it. Like, it's the equivalent of an additional 16 days of instruction in reading. It's the equivalent of six days in math instruction. The comparisons in some states are more remarkable. In New York, charter students were 75 days ahead in reading and 73 days ahead in math compared with their traditional public school peers. That's like two and a half months, folks. In Illinois, 40 days ahead in reading, 48 days ahead in math. Washington State, 26 days ahead in reading, 39 ahead in math. Those differences can add up to an extra year of learning across an entire elementary education. That's because that's just per year. That's just per year. And so it stacks, as they say in the gaming biz. It stacks one after another after another. And you end up with going to school from K through 12, if you're at a charter school, let's say, or you're in charters throughout your K-12 history, and you end up stacking Each year, depending on what state you're in, you could end up with a full extra year of instruction. Credo's first study in 2009 found that charters did not yield better student outcomes. And that's the study that is always cited by charter opponents, the 2009 study. Teachers unions often claim that charters and choice programs betray public education because they cherry pick kids and fail to serve those in greatest need. Credo's results... Now, should end that garbage. Discussion's over, as our friends on the left like to say, right? The science is settled. The latest study shows black and Hispanic students had some of the largest gains and that they, quote, advance more than their peers by large margins in math and reading. Ditto for kids in poverty. 
Unions should also read the section of the report on what Credo calls gap-busting schools, which show black and Hispanic students succeeding as well as white peers. Credo says this shows that learning gaps between student groups are not structural and they are not inevitable. Right? This, what used to be called the achievement gap, but then they were like, oh, we don't want to say that to offend people. And also let's come up with a better term, a euphemism, so we don't you know, look like we're shortchanging blacks and Hispanics in public schools. So they call it the opportunity gap. See, it's an opportunity for us not to educate all kids. See, don't you that? Right. Obviously. But at the charter schools, they're not seeing that. Let me go over here and get Lynn on the program. Hello, Lynn. Welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing today? Hey, I'm good. What's going on? I'm, I want to comment on the charter schools. I, I, I agree with you 100% about how the charter schools do an excellent job. My granddaughter was in public schools for kindergarten and first grade. Oh, no. Lynn. Lynn, can you hear me? All the time. Lynn, hang yes, on. Sir. Hang on, Lynn. You just dropped out. Were you going through a tunnel through Charlotte or something? Yeah, maybe I went under a bridge, that's all. Oh, man, that was a big bridge. All right, so you said you're, uh, so you agree with me, which I always love to hear. No, I'm kidding. But you uh, but you said, what, your granddaughter went to charter schools? Is that what you were saying? Yes, sir. And my daughter, when she entered in the second grade, she was behind in reading. They jumped on her, helped her out, made sure that she got the attention that she needed. And, man, she's she's in fourth grade now, and all her skills are good. She's, she's up on top of it. She's at grade level now? Say again? Is she at grade level? Is she reading with the other kids in her yeah. class? She's at that grade level. That's awesome. Excellent. Excellent. She is. And I, I'm just so impressed with how they take care of all their kids there. I think the number one, one of the things, too, is they take interest in all the children to make sure everybody's doing well. And they're also back to the code of conduct, too. Mm. I think all, all that stuff seems to help them. It, it's just wonderful. So what, uh, what would you say, how would you characterize or describe the code of conduct at the charter school? They have a, a, a bunch of different characters. That, uh, they have a, a character group, and I can't remember the exact words of it, but they expect everybody to maintain respect for individuals, respect for your teachers, you know, to be polite to individuals. And they go through it, and they have some acronym they have for that. Yeah. But they, 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 they also stress that as part of the group. What, uh, what happens if the kids uh, misbehave? They get out of line, they, they get into a fight or something. Well, first they get, I don't know about a fight, but they get, they misbehave. I know that there's like three different steps, and I don't remember. The first step, maybe the teacher just sends a letter home to the parents. The second step is then the, they get, they get some kind of, I don't, I don't want to say isolation, but, but, but some kind of correction at school. And then number three is then the, I guess the parents have to take them out of the school for, mm. for, to, for, to take care of the control. I don't yeah. remember those exact details. I, I apologize for that. No, that's fine. I was just kind of curious if you knew. Um, because that's one of the things that uh, is often cited. Uh, It's the lack of discipline at schools and the disruptive nature of the schools and these kids that, you know, don't learn well in those environments. They want to get out and the parents want to get them out. And uh, if you send them to a charter school, I imagine that they don't put up with that crap. They don't. They actually don't. They. I've I, I visited the class. I've done other things. Like I've been there reading to the class. They have adults come in and read to the class at different grade levels. I've been on field trips with them, and I don't have any problem with any of the kids. Yeah, no, I hear you. Lynn, thanks for the call, buddy. I appreciate it. All right, well, thank you very much. Have a great- you too. All right, take care. Um, 
around 15% of charters underperform their local public school. 15%. So 85% overperform their local public schools. But 15% underperform. And you know what happens when they fail? They close. And nobody else can be harmed by that underperforming school again. It's what I like to call accountability. Right? Accountability. The same thing occurs in the private sector as well with private schools. If your kid comes out of that school and doesn't know how to read or write or, or arithmetic, um, if they don't know how to do anything and they can't get jobs, they can't get into college, whatever, that private school will fail too. And then nobody else will be harmed by that school. That is not the case with government-run traditional public schools. They stay open. They get more money. They get, you know, reform plans get put in place or, you know, we're really going to turn it around this time, you know. And it's just generational failure. This was the premise. If you ever get a chance and you're interested in, um, in the topic, go watch a documentary called Waiting for Superman. It's 20 years ago. And the premise of the story, this guy set about to uh, find why are these schools failing these kids or why, why are the schools in bad shape? And that's what he determined at the end of the process. He was like, it's not that the, uh, the neighborhood is sending these, you know, failures to the school. It's that the school has generationally failed the neighborhood. You got parents sending their own kids to that same factory model, and it's just a cycle. It's just a cycle. All right, you may have noticed that I've been helping the Alzheimer's Association of Western North Carolina for a while, and it's a great organization. They got awesome people with huge hearts. My grandfather died of Alzheimer's when I was a kid, and back then there wasn't a lot of support for caregivers and family. Now, things are different today thanks to the work of the Alzheimer's Association. It's why I support them. Every year we do a series of walks all over the country. There are a bunch in the Carolinas. You can go to alz.org slash walk for a walk to end Alzheimer's near you. This month there are walks in Hendersonville, Rock Hill, Mooresville, Greenville. And in October, we got Charlotte, Gastonia, Asheville, Kannapolis, Hickory, and Spartanburg. Go to alz.org for all of the dates and locations. We're closer than ever to stopping Alzheimer's, and we're asking if you can help us get there. Will you walk with me for a different future for families? For more time, for treatments, this is why we walk. All right, I got a tweet here from Cirque de la Soul, who says, Pete, it sounds like CMS is trying to identify as being successful. It's transcessful. Uh, uh, why teach reading, writing, and arithmetic when you can teach feelings, slightings, and disrespect? Yes, that's true. Um, let's focus on developing our tendency for interpersonal victimhood personality, uh, the TIV, as it were. And this way, we will be forever crippled by seeing everybody as transgressors and oneself as the perpetual victim in need of saving by somebody else. Right. Now, that's the kind of life you want to live, right? Why, why be tough or strong? Why learn to overcome challenges? Resistance to pressure builds strength, people, you know, and letting kids 
do free play. I'm going to get into this stuff tomorrow. I've been building this uh, topic for a while, so this is going to be tomorrow. But we have a whole generation of kids that that are are really like messed up because th- this is what Jonathan Haidt writes about in the coddling of the American mind. When you when you bulldoze parent and you 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 clear everything, all the challenges and obstacles, and you eliminate free play dynamics and stuff, and kids don't learn how to navigate this stuff, they become anxiety ridden, depressed, unable to conquer a fear, unable to do simple tasks, dependent. You're not setting them up for success. And I recognize, by the way, that as a uh, person without any kids, I uh, have the best parenting advice. All right, so back to the charters. This fight over charters um, is actually in North Carolina. This is actually a fight over control. Let me go back to July, early July. Governor Roy Cooper vetoes a bill that streamlines the approval process for public charter schools. The, the legislation created a new charter schools review board. Okay. In the veto message, Cooper attacked. Charter school supervisors, he called this new board that would oversee the charter schools a, quote, commission of political friends and extremists. The North Carolina Coalition for Charter Schools says uh, it's a bipartisan organization that has praised, endorsed, and otherwise supported both Democrats and Republicans. However, they say, when a policymaker, even the governor, makes such a wrongheaded public statement, we feel compelled to respond. The new charter board, created by the legislation, would be appointed in the same exact manner as the body that it is partly replacing, which is called the Charter Schools Advisory Board. The Charter Schools Advisory Board isn't made up of hacks and extremists, like Cooper called this new board. There are 11 members. They got 295 years of combined educational experience, including managing and overseeing public charter schools. Right? The... The difference here is that the advisory board is housed under the State Board of Education. It appears the basis for attacking the new Charter Schools Review Board is the fact that the legislature would appoint a majority of its members. Even though Governor Cooper appoints a majority of the State Board of Ed, this organization, the Coalition for Charter Schools, they've not attacked the State Board of Ed as a commission of political friends and extremists. They haven't said that. Then you've got this latest, uh, this latest chapter. There is maneuvering afoot. And so this, the North Carolina State Board of Ed- Education yesterday considered a policy that violates state law by threatening to withhold funding for new public charter schools. Because When the General Assembly enacted a law that established this Charter School Review Board, that empowered that board to consider and approve applications for any new public charter school. As you would think, it being the Charter School Review Board, right? So they would look to approve or reject the applications. That authority was previously split between the State Board of Education and the old Charter Schools Advisory Board. That's gone now. The legislature enacted this law to streamline the approval process for new public charter schools by doing away with two layers of the bureaucracy. 
The coalition says that in its place, the Charter School Review Board now has power to approve new charter schools, and the State Board of Education has the power to decide appeals. So they still have some role to play. If you re- if the review board rejects an application, the State Board of Ed, uh, or you can appeal to the State Board of Ed, and they can hear that appeal. Okay. But now what the State Board of Ed is doing under Eric Davis as chairman, Eric Davis, former Charlotte-Mecklenburg School Board chairman, I think uh, he came from the, uh, what was his district? Uh, the Chamber of Commerce, the Charlotte Chamber. Um, oh, that was like 20 years ago. It's not even called the Chamber anymore. All right, so uh, now the State Board of Ed is looking at a policy to empower itself to withhold state funds for new public charter schools that get approved by the review board. Separating funding approval from school approval. That's what they're trying to do. And the coalition for charter schools says that is a violation of state law. The state law requires the state board to provide funding to every charter school. Linda Lynn Cacadellis, also a former member of the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Board of Ed, but she is now the executive director of the North Carolina Coalition for Charter Schools. She says, quote, North Carolina charter schools are enormously popular with families, as evidenced by the 77,000 names on charter school wait lists. 77,000 on the wait list. The legislature streamlined the approval process for new public charter schools to meet this demand. The State Board of Education is wrong to play these bureaucratic power games when parents just want options in their public schooling. It's about control. This isn't about the kids at all. This has nothing to do with the kids. Oh, I'm sure they'll dress it up and say something like, oh, well, you know, uh, charter schools are unaccountable, as I mentioned earlier. You know, that's a canard. But it's it, it's not true. 15% underperform, and then they close. And it's a lower rate than the public schools. They never close. It's about control. That's why they oppose the vouchers. That's why they oppose charters. And it's also why they're demonizing groups like Moms for Liberty. Get to that in a minute. (laughs) 